0: If you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. Welcome to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Welcome to The Inner Life. Hi, I'm Josh Raymond. And hope your Tuesday is going well so far here, whether it's uh, early or a little later in the morning for you, wherever you happen to be listening. Now, as we begin the program today, what's the tallest building that you've ever been in? And did you go up to the top floor? Now, even if you haven't been up to the top of some really tall building, have you at least been in a city in maybe the downtown section where you can walk along the streets And you can look up, you can marvel at those massive skyscrapers. Do you know the name of the tallest building in the world right now? Currently, the tallest skyscraper, it's called the Burj Khalifa. It's in Dubai. And it stands at 2,717 feet. If you end up including the antenna on top of the building, that adds another five feet onto that. And to put that in perspective... If you take what is probably the most famous, the most iconic of U.S. skyscrapers, the Empire State Building, the Burj Khalifa is almost double the height of the Empire State Building. The Empire State Building actually turns 100, I believe, from the date it opened, turns 100 in about uh, nine years from now, getting very close. How about the tallest building here in the U.S.? Do you know which building holds that title? It's the One World Trade Center building there in New York. And including the spire on top of that building, it reaches 1,776 feet tall. Now, keep in mind, that's almost 1,000 feet less than that building in Dubai, the Burj Khalifa. But still, huge, massive structure. Here's another fascinating bit of trivia for you. Any guess as to how many buildings throughout the U.S. top over that 1,000 foot in height mark there? I would have guessed fewer, but believe it or not, 29 buildings here throughout the United States reach above 1,000 feet. The majority of those buildings are in New York and Chicago. In fact, the top 13 all just in those two cities. You have to get to number 14 before you can move out. Number 14, that's in Philly. It's the Comcast Technology Center. And number 15, Los Angeles with the Wilshire Grand Center. Of course, it's only natural for us when we see these buildings, to talk about the height of them. That's what we see. It's what's visible to us. But have you ever given much thought to what you aren't able to see when you look at these structures from the outside? And I'm talking about the foundation of these skyscrapers. Do you have any idea of how deep that foundation goes for these buildings? For the average home, if they have a basement, typically that basement has 8-foot-tall walls built on a 4-inch concrete slab. But that's only for one or two stories of a house. Now part of what determines the foundation for a skyscraper, it depends on the ground that is under that structure, the soil composition, along with how deep it is until you hit the bedrock. If you look at the tallest building in Chicago, the Willis Tower, which you might know better by its old name, the Sears Tower, its basement goes 100 feet below ground. And the foundation there is anchored at 114 different points into the bedrock, and everything is resting on a five-foot-thick concrete mat. Remember, I said four inches for the average home that has a basement, five feet of a concrete mat there, and anchored into the bedrock for the old Sears Tower, the Willis Tower. The One World Trade Center, that tallest building here in the U.S., that goes deeper, 150 feet, 150 150 feet below ground level, again with anchors extending 80 feet into the bedrock under that building. Now, if you take that 150 feet of foundation for that skyscraper, if you want to imagine that depth, think about the Statue of Liberty. The statue itself, from its base to its torch, reaches 151 feet, only one foot taller than that depth of that foundation there, of that basement for the One World Trade Center. Now, without those deep foundations anchored into that bedrock, there'd be absolutely no possibility of making, of uh, constructing these buildings to reach such magnificent heights. Now, I want you to consider the magnificent heights that some people have reached in their spiritual lives. Of course, this is our hour of spiritual direction here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app, so we want to look at what we can talk about as spiritual application. And the saints, they show us through their example that when we live lives united with Christ, it actually is possible to achieve heroic virtue. We can have that hope of being together with Christ in the life to come. But the saints, they didn't reach those magnificent spiritual heights without a strong foundation. And just like a skyscraper with its deep, deep foundation anchored into the bedrock, For us to have that hope of heaven, the hope of becoming a saint, we need to have that solid foundation built upon Christ and using those ways that he gave us, his church, that access to be connected to him. And I'm talking about the sacraments, of course. The sacraments, the means by which we receive the grace of God. And today we want to spend this hour looking at how the sacraments are that foundation for our spiritual life. And joining us as our spiritual director for the hour, Father Sam Kachuba is with us. He's a priest in the Diocese of Bridgeport, pastor of St. Pius X Parish in Fairfield, Connecticut, and uh, it's his debut here on The Inner Life. Very glad to welcome Father Sam with us. Father Sam, welcome to The Inner Life.
1: Thanks for having me, Josh. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, well and uh before maybe we dive into our conversation uh since first time for me and our listeners to get to know you. Uh, can you tell us a little about yourself? Are you originally did you grow up in Connecticut or have you been a transplant there?
1: Yeah, I grew up right here in the Diocese of Bridgeport in fact. Uh, I'm the pastor of a parish in my mother's hometown. Um, my dad's from the neighboring town. He's he's from Bridgeport originally. I grew up in Stratford, a uh, product of the Catholic schools of the Diocese of Bridgeport. And uh, so when I entered seminary after high school, it was uh, really very much as a, as a native son of the diocese. And it's been a really joy to, to be able to serve here in the Diocese of Bridgeport as a priest uh, these last almost 14 years now.
0: Oh, wonderful. Well, and so... Uh, being there in Connecticut, growing up in that area, at what point did you realize God was calling you to be a priest?
1: I always laugh at it. I think it was it, the the call started in eighth grade. My class at uh, St. James School voted me most likely to become a priest in the yearbook. Uh, which, when they did that, I, I don't
0: think we had first. that category in our yearbook. That's yeah.
1: <laughs> it's it's an, I think only Catholic schools get it. Uh, <laughs> but that was for me that was at first a little scary i thought why would they why would they say that about me i thought they were just kind of making fun of me but then really as i got into high school and i was uh again, at a Catholic high school and then really active in youth ministry at my home parish, uh, I started to really dive more deeply into the faith and started to own it more for myself. And so it was probably around my sophomore year of high school that the Lord really put on my heart the desire to, to be a priest, and I started discerning seriously the possibility. Uh, and then by the time I got to the end of my, my high school years, I was, I was ready to at least give seminary a try. And thank God I did. <laughs>
0: Good. I'm glad to hear, Father. Well, so let's jump into our conversation today, talking about the sacraments as the foundation for our spiritual life. And I'm always a fan of wanting to define terms when we start a conversation here so that we have that common understanding of the basics before we go deeper into the discussion. And so, you know, for people who have grown up in the church, grown up as Catholics, even in non Catholic Christian homes, this might seem like a given, but can you talk about what it means for us to have a spiritual life?
1: Sure. Uh, each of us is made to be in, in relationship. Uh, God creates us in His image and likeness in any places us in this world to have a particular relationship with with himself. Uh, he desires to know each of us and he calls us by name. So to have a spiritual life is to foster that relationship with the Lord, to recognize the divine image that is is within each of us and the way in which God is, is already present to us. And that as we grow spiritually, we're taking care of the soul. Just as we take care of our bodies by the way that we eat and the way that we exercise and the way that we get our rest, the way that we recreate, so too we need to make sure that we take care of our souls, which God has given to us. And so the spiritual life is really all about taking care of our souls in that constantly growing relationship with the Lord.
0: And as you talk about taking care of our physical bodies, if we don't take care of our physical bodies, uh, we can fall ill, there can be, even be danger of death, and I, I think it's because it doesn't impact us maybe as noticeably in our spiritual journey, uh, that idea of being spiritually ill or in danger or maybe even spiritually dead. Can you talk to that, that <laughs> how we can be, I guess, more aware, more in tuned with that spiritual aspect of ourselves so that we don't allow ourselves to fall into that illness or danger of death?
1: Sure. Well, in, in, the, in just the same way that if we don't take care of the body, we start to feel the effects physically. And we'd even feel the effects emotionally, you know, psychologically, that as we're as we're not taking care of ourselves, if we're not taking care of the body, then everything else is going to start to suffer. In a very similar way, if we don't take care of the soul, we're going to recognize other things starting to happen. So, you know, the, the symptoms of not taking care of, of the spiritual life and, and of our souls often manifest in the affect that we have and the, the ways that we're feeling. So it can have an emotional impact. Uh, we're, we're not quite where we need to be. We're not recognizing our own value. We start to recognize certain bad habits are creeping in, and it's really because we're not turning ourselves over to the Lord. But if we take care of that part of ourselves, if we take care of the soul, we really start to dive into prayer each day we're going to find ourselves more regimented, more alert, uh, more more available. We're going to find that the way that we treat the people around us changes because if, if you're praying, it's impossible <laughs> to treat people badly. You know, when we're really living out that, that spiritual life, and we're living in God's grace, things about the way that we act and the way that we engage with this world start to be transformed. And so the spiritual life really is is just as much, and, and certainly I think even more because it's about our eternal soul, uh, the spiritual life is, is just as much a part of our the things that we need to take care of as exercise and diet would be.
0: Hmm. I, I like how you said, you know, that when we're praying, uh, that changes us, you know, that we find ourselves where if we're praying for someone, if we're praying, you know, I, I remember a friend of mine years ago, uh, there was a political race that was going on and this person got elected and my friend said, "I just hate that person," and I'm not going to mm-hmm. say names, of course. But I, I hate them. How can you not hate them? And I said, "Well, it's really hard to hate somebody that you pray for. You might not agree with everything they say. You might not like everything yeah. they do. But it's really hard to hate someone when you're praying for them because absolutely, that, it's going to be a, it's going to be almost an impossible dichotomy at that point. If you, you know, if you pray for somebody, but then say I hate them or I wish ill for them, because then all of a sudden we're not." How how can you pray at that point? You know what I mean, Father. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Well, and and a life of prayer also makes you see yourself more clearly. And so when when you're living that life of prayer, you're, you're you're able to sort of see yourself through God's eyes, which means that you see honestly, and you know yourself to be loved. But even as you know yourself to be loved, you're able to recognize your weaknesses and and your frailty. You're able to recognize those things about yourself that are worthy of condemnation. You know, if if I sit down and I I examine my conscience, I realize there are so many sins that that I hold in my heart, or so many things that would seem to make me totally unworthy, but God in His goodness and mercy still loves me. Well, if I can recognize that in myself, then how can I possibly hate somebody else? Um, I have no idea what their (laughs) their life might be like. I have no idea where they might be coming from. Um, Prayer, spiritual life, actually helps to cast out any hatred that you might carry in your heart.
0: Well, okay, so we want to talk about the sacraments as that foundation for that spiritual life. Let's talk about sacraments for a moment. Uh, If somebody is unfamiliar with what a sacrament is, can you at least give us kind of the, the thumbnail sketch of what the Church defines as a sacrament?
1: Sure, I love the old Baltimore Catechism definition of the sacrament. A sacrament is an outward sign instituted by Christ that confers grace. In other words, God wants us to receive His blessings. He wants us to receive graces, and so He makes that reception of grace happen through very, very visible signs. And and Jesus Himself gives us these signs. He He lays them out for us in the Gospels. And so as we uh, as we receive those outward signs, God is communicating invisibly a real a real grace. So the visible sign indicates the invisible action of God in the heart of the person receiving the sacrament.
0: We also have different categories that the Catechism of the Catholic Church gives for the seven different Mm -hmm. sacraments. Some fall under a category sacraments of initiation, some Mm -hmm. are sacraments of healing. Some are termed as sacraments at the service of communion. Can you maybe walk us through these categories? Um, You know, there's some of the sacraments we might be more familiar with, and some maybe not as much. But uh, the three different categories, why are some of them, uh, you know, baptism, one of the sacraments of initiation. Seems like a pretty natural one. Uh, Right, Confirmation well, that seems at least in the u s church, the Catholic Church here in the u s that that comes much later. How is that an initiation, same with the Eucharist, a sacrament of mm-hmm. initiation, but it's something that we continue to receive through our entire life Sure,
1: yeah, well, with the sacraments of initiation, you have the the real foundation for the whole Christian life so baptism is what gives us access to all the other sacraments it's in baptism that we're brought into the life of the church where we're grafted onto the body of christ so we become a member of christ's body by that by that gift of baptism the holy spirit comes and really truly dwells within us what that means then is the door has been opened for us to the life of grace in those baptismal promises we're we're able now to receive the the, that gift of grace uh the sacrament of confirmation is sort of a way of saying we've completed now the, this gift of baptism uh, by receiving those gifts of the Holy Spirit or having those gifts of the Holy Spirit sealed in us. It's a better way to describe it. The sacrament of confirmation seals what has been promised at baptism. Um, and it's interesting, you're right, that it's delayed so long here, especially in the United States. Um, in the Eastern Rite of the Church, it's all done all at once. Uh, baptism, confirmation, and Eucharist take place all, all at once at infancy. Right. Um and in, in the in the latin church the western church the tradition grew up that the bishop to have that personal, pastoral, and paternal role in the administration of the sacraments. The bishop, as the spiritual father of his people, uh, needs to have that personal connection. And so whenever possible, the bishop would go to celebrate baptisms. Well, as the, the Christian community grew, and it became impossible for the local bishop to do all the baptisms and all the confirming himself, in the West, the bishop reserved confirmation to himself and let the priests take care of baptism. And so the priests locally would baptize, and then when the bishop could come, he would confirm those who had been already baptized. And so he would complete the sacraments of initiation. And so actually the idea of the bishop, the, the chief priest of the diocese coming to administer that, that final step of, of uh, initiation was, was really powerful. And then the Eucharist, the Eucharist and the reception of the Eucharist is actually meant to be the outward sign of our completed initiation. Uh, theologically, the Eucharist actually is the final of the sacraments of initiation. That once you've been confirmed, you're now a member of, of the Church, confirmed as a member of the Church, and now as a member of the Church you're able to receive the Eucharist. That outward sign of receiving communion is to say, I believe and I'm a member of this community. Uh, so actually the order of the sacraments of initiation kind of got mixed up, and I always blame my own patron saint, St. Pius X. I'm pastor of his parish here in Fairfield. But it was, it was really that uh, that desire for the Eucharist and the gift of the Eucharist, to let children receive Jesus in the Eucharist. So St. Pius X lowered the age for the reception of First Communion, but the age for Confirmation never really got, got moved at all. But it's really fascinating when we see these, these sacraments of initiation are, are meant to give us the gifts of grace, but they're foundational gifts, foundational gifts for the whole spiritual life so those sevenfold gifts of the holy spirit are meant to walk us through our lives Um, they're meant to be those things that we can call upon at any time so you were confirmed you have the gifts of the holy spirit and you can call upon those gifts at any time you have access to that gift that god has given to you and then the nourishment that you receive in the eucharist by going and receiving jesus Present in the Eucharist, you're able then to to take that next step and to say, "I want to grow in this grace that I already possess."
0: Mm. Our spiritual director, Father Sam Kachuba, priest in the Diocese of Bridgeport, Connecticut, talking today about the sacraments as the foundation for our spiritual life, and how have they been that for you? How have the sacraments of Baptism and Confirmation helped you to rely on the Holy Spirit to be that bold witness for Christ, to stand firm? in your Catholic faith? How has regular reception of the Eucharist strengthened you to show the love of Christ to those you encounter every day? How has going to confession regularly helped you to grow in holiness, to be able to resist temptation? How has your marriage, how has that allowed you to work together with your spouse to become saints, to work, (laughs) help each other get to heaven? You can call in and join the program and share your story at 888-914-9149. Or maybe you have a question about how those sacraments, one of them, really is that anchor for us in Christ, that access that we have to the body of Christ. 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. You can also email us, innerlife at relevantradio.com, and we'll continue our conversation right after this on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. with our spiritual director, Father Sam Kachuba, a priest of the Diocese of Bridgeport, Connecticut, talking about how the sacraments are the foundation for our spiritual life. How have you experienced that? Whether it's living out your faith, having that uh, strength of the Holy Spirit within you because of your baptism and confirmation. Maybe it's how the Eucharist strengthens you to live out your faith day in and day out with your family your co-workers those people that you interact with being able to show the love of christ to them how has confession helped you to be able to live a holier life how has your marriage been able to work in your life whether you're a husband or a wife helping your spouse get to heaven you can call in 888-914-9149 914 9149 and father sam as you were talking about those three sacraments of initiation, you know, you were talking about um, how they bring us into the church, and the one of the things I was thinking about: the sacraments have the two different parts, the two two different aspects that make them real, that confect them. There's what the church calls matter, the physical material that's used in the sacrament. For the Eucharist it's the bread and wine, for baptism it's water, and then there's the form, the words that are said, that are prayed, that transform those basic materials into that sacrament that allows us then to encounter God. And we might not give this much thought if we've been in the Church for any length of time, but if you really step back and think about it, I find it almost a bit dumbfounding that Christ has given us such basic means by which He reaches out to us. He brings himself to us. And if we go back to, like, baptism as an example, we can pour some water over somebody's head, or if there's enough, they can be immersed in the water. And then the minister, most of the time it's a priest, but it can be anyone, Uh, just the words, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. And this gives us that entry into the family of God. It moves us from this state of eternal damnation to eternal salvation. And mm. it's so simple and it's so basic that it almost sounds too easy. It's almost as if Jesus wanted to make sure that salvation was as readily accessible as possible for anybody who desires it.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's, it's really amazing. And I think you see there just the, the gift of, of what God's revelation is. I mean, this takes us all the way back to the very beginning. right? Adam and Eve walked in the Garden of Eden with God. They walked with Him, the Creator of of the entire universe, and they had this this easy conversation with God, where they could just sort of walk with Him through the garden. Um, and from the time of the fall on, God desires to restore that sort of closeness. He desires to restore that that easy conversation with Him. Uh, the whole the whole point of God's creation is He creates out of love. He doesn't have to create. Uh, but because God is love, that love just overflows and is, is this creative power. And so everything that's, that's been made uh, speaks to the glory of God, speaks to his goodness, speaks to his presence. And God revealing himself over time desires to draw people closer to himself. He wants us to be in that in that real close, loving union with him. And so when you see these these ordinary means, these really simple things, water just being poured over the head, saying, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, God wants us to be saved. He wants us to be in that in that relationship with him. And the simplicity, I think, of some of the sacraments, of, of the whole idea of the sacraments, is exactly that. It doesn't have to be something complicated to get us into a relationship with the Lord. It's something very simple.
0: Yeah, I, I think of that. Story that we encounter in the Acts of the Apostles, where um, I think it's Philip who in, he he's taken by the Holy Spirit there with mm. the Ethiopian eunuch that is reading. I, I I don't have it in front of me. I think he was reading maybe from the prophet Isaiah. He's reading and, from Isaiah, yeah. Yeah, and once Philip starts explaining how Christ fulfills what he's reading. Then the Ethiopian eunuch, he says, Well what's what's to prevent me from being baptized right here, right now? And He
1: says, Look, there's water.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs>
1: he gets it. He understands right away. It's something simple that provides that access, exactly. I'm Talking... also, I always I always go back to the Old Testament, right? And in the Old Testament we read that uh the the Israelites are, are saying, What nation is there that has God so close to it as our God is to us? Hmm. Like what This is God's revelation. He wants to be close to us. And if you look especially at the ancient world, the gods weren't close. When when you look at the the different mythological figures, they weren't close to humanity. They were very distant, and they would kind of come down and take what they wanted from humanity, but there was no closeness. Whereas with the, the God of Israel, it's a God who desires to be close to his people, and that's what God desires for us too.
0: Our spiritual director is Father Sam Kachuba and talking today about the sacraments as the foundation of our spiritual life. Father, let's go to the phones. We've got Sam who's listening to us in Athens, Georgia. Sam, welcome to The Inner Life.
1: Thank you, Josh, and hello, Father. Sam, you have a great name. Oh, thank you, thank you. (laughs) I was just thinking the same thing about you. Um, I have a question. You said that The sacraments are an outward expression of grace or something similar to that. How do you define that type of grace? Yeah, so a a sacramental grace, the, the grace that we receive is always invisible right? The the sacrament has an outward component, so there's there's some action taken. So the pouring of water in baptism, for example, that's the outward sign. But the grace that's conferred by the sacrament is, is an invisible interior grace. Um, when we celebrate the Eucharist, there's the outward sign. We see the bread, and the wine, but we know that it's really and truly transformed. Then when we receive the Eucharist, so there's the outward sign of us going forward to receive the Eucharist, to receive Holy Communion, but Jesus is doing something interiorly in our hearts. So the grace that's that's received is, is always going to be invisible, but it's something that God wants to communicate to us personally also.
0: Sam, thanks so much for the call. And, you know, Father, as you're talking about how we receive the sacraments, you know, that we go forward, we receive them. It reminds me of a quote I read from Professor Peter Kreeft. Um He has a book called Jesus Shock, and he talks about the difference in the way that Protestants view the sacraments versus how Catholics view And while there is that requirement on our part to approach to receive, we have to do something to cooperate there. Um, What Peter Crafe says is, Protestants believe that the sacraments are like ladders that God gave us by which we can climb up to him. Catholics believe that they are like ladders that God gave to himself by which he climbs down to us. And I really like that distinction that Yes, we might have to receive, we might have to make that action to, to cooperate with how God brings himself to us, but yeah. he's the one doing the majority of the work there. You know, everything is reliant upon him. It's not really reliant upon us other than us to say, yes, I want this. I want what you're offering.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and what a gift that God—so again, it's his desire. His positive will for us is to is to draw close, and there's there's such a beauty in that. The other thing that goes with that is that when the sacraments are celebrated, God is objectively pouring out his grace, and so his grace doesn't actually depend on, on my effort. And thank God his grace doesn't depend on my effort. Because right. if it all depended on, on me and what I'm bringing to the table, I'm in my humanity and in my finite nature, I, I'm not bringing much of anything at all to the table. But God in his goodness brings everything.
0: Mm. Father, let's go back to the phones. Eric is listening in Verona, Wisconsin. Eric, thanks for calling in. Hello, Father. Um I was just wondering um you mentioned that uh, after confirmation you could just access um the gifts of the Holy Ghost whenever you want. I was just wondering how practically does that work?
1: Mm, Eric, that's a great question. Um a, a big part of it is is simply cultivating in in your own heart that that place where you recognize in, in different situations what the gift might be that that is needed might be. So let's take patience is probably the, the one that we might need to call upon the most, right? <laughs> I need patience to deal with this difficult situation or with this difficult person. And so it's cultivating that attitude saying, Lord, help me to be patient. And remembering that you have that gift the Spirit has given to you. Now, if we want to get into the more intense and, and more theologically accurate gifts, uh, we can talk about... Courage. So you're in a conversation with some, some friends and the conversation starting to get uh, critical of, of the Catholic faith, or the things that we believe that it's important to defend. And so to call upon the Lord in your, in your own heart, just in the moment, God, give me the, the courage to speak truthfully and charitably. God, give me that strength that I need to, to speak to the truth that you have poured out, that you have revealed. Um, and so just practically, it's, it's in the moment. The moment calling upon God, calling upon the Holy Spirit to remind you of those gifts that you've already received.
0: Eric, is that helpful? Does that give you some insight? Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for your call. Uh, Father, before we go back to the phones, and I want to throw out the phone number again, 888 914 9149, to call in and talk with us here on the program, our spiritual director, Father Sam Kachuba, and talking about the sacraments as the foundation of our spiritual life. And how have you seen that work in your life? Uh, Whether it is through your baptism and your confirmation, maybe it's through regular reception of the Eucharist, maybe it's by going to confession regularly, and being able to have that grace that Father Sam was talking about that allows us to live out our faith, to be able to grow holier each day, closer to Christ. 888-914-9149. Maybe you have a question you'd like to ask Father Sam, you can call in with that as well. 888-914-9149. Talked about baptism and confirmation, Father. Talked about uh, the Eucharist, that that is that outward, visible, kind of uh, uh, recognized sacrament that says, I am part of the community here, and that along with confession... Um, those are the two most regular sacraments that we have access to again and again, rather than just the one-time access for baptism and confirmation. Um, So those two, Eucharist and, and confirmation, might be easiest to view, as foundational for our own ongoing connection to Christ and the church but again maybe for somebody who has been catholic for their entire life or you know for years maybe decades how can we maybe renew that understanding of the way that we look at these two sacraments and how they really do anchor us to Christ
1: yeah to be renewed in that in that is to to remember Just what exactly it is that happened and I know in my own life it was actually the Eucharist that helped me to understand baptism which kind of seems out of order but it was when I started to really understand who it is that I'm receiving in the Eucharist that this is Jesus and he desires to be close to me and the chance to spend time with Jesus for example in Eucharistic adoration or simply to visit him in the chapel where he's present in the tabernacle to be able to call upon Jesus who's there in the Eucharist then helped me to remember what baptism really means, that in baptism, I was grafted onto christ. I, I became part of his of his body. So th- the gift of baptism was that that thing that started it all, and that was the way that God began to communicate himself to me. And so in baptism, I know that God desires to speak to me. So when I go back and I renew my baptismal promises, when I bless myself with holy water, when I walk into the church, I'm calling to mind that moment that I was first brought into that relationship. With God, um, then when I receive the Eucharist, or when I, when I go into adoration, when I genuflect before the tabernacle uh, i 'm reminded that this is Jesus, just again and again to know this is, this is Jesus and how close He wants to be to me, how, how deeply he wants to be in this in this loving union, and, and how beautiful it is that he 's right here he 's so accessible, and so th- that is just the renewal that I need all the time of, of that gift of the sacraments. Mm.
0: Talking with Father Sam Kachuba and taking your phone calls at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. The sacraments as that foundation for our spiritual life, and how has that worked its way in your life, that better understanding of how the sacraments really do draw us to Christ. They are that foundation so that we can live out those two greatest commandments. We can love God with all of our being, all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love our neighbor as ourselves. And we'd love to hear from you, have you be a part of the conversation, 888-914-9149. And Father, let's also talk about the sacraments of matrimony, of marriage, and the anointing of the sick when we come back right after this here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Nick? I like that one. That's a keeper. Uh, Welcome back to The Inner Life. Hi, I'm Josh Raymond. Glad to have you here with us for this hour as we're talking about the sacraments as the foundation of our spiritual life. And before we get back to our conversation with Father Sam Kachuba, I also want to mention this year, Relevant Radio, we are doing something very special, um, wanting to help you know Our Lady, Our Blessed Mother, Mary, better. Um, And you can do that by just simply registering. We're going to be exploring throughout this year of 2022 uh, Mary's intercession in human history and how that especially works in our everyday lives. You can grow in your faith, uh, your knowledge of the faith, and your devotion to our Blessed Mother um, through some of the free, different uh, information that we'll be sending you, teaching you about her under some of her different titles, and some of the different feasts and uh, other uh, memorials and, and oh oh uh, what's the—solemnity. Uh, I couldn't think of solemnity there. <laughs> some of those different feasts that we celebrate through the year as a church. And you can sign up again. It's absolutely free. You can re- receive the email series by clicking at RelevantRadio.com or on the Relevant Radio app. You'll see that banner, Miracles, Mysteries, and Mary— uh, sign up. You'll be registered that way. You can get those emails for free. Again, uh, relevantradio.com or the relevant radio app. Just click on the banner. Uh, talking with Father Sam Kachuba, a priest in the Diocese of Bridgeport, Connecticut, pastor of St. Pius Tenth Parish in Fairfield, Connecticut. Uh, talking about the sacraments today, the sacraments, uh, the foundation of our spiritual life. And Father, before we go back to the phones, let's talk for a moment about. Marriage. Uh, Marriage is one of those things that not everybody is called to the vocation of marriage. And we might be able to maybe tie in holy orders this way. You know, most people are not called to that vocation of holy orders, deacon, priest, bishop. Uh, But marriage, for somebody who isn't married, or maybe, you know, it's going to be later in my 20s or into my 30s, maybe even my 40s or 50s, before I find that someone that I say, I do want to enter into marriage, I want to spend the rest of my life with this person— when it comes so late, how does that then become foundational for the spiritual life of the body of Christ?
1: Mm. Yeah, well, marriage, if we understand first as, as part of the whole body of Christ, marriage is a living image. The the married couple is a living image of Christ's love for his Church, uh, the, the mystical union of, of Christ with his bride, the Church. And so we, we see, mirrored in the married couple, the love that God has, that unconditional love poured out for us. Um, But the way that the sacrament of of marriage and and that beautiful vocation uh, becomes foundational is that the the married couple, uh, on the day that they say, I do, uh, are vowing to one another, vowing to one another that they will walk that path towards heaven together. Um, that they will do everything that they can to assist one another in not just the practical details of everyday life. Um, a married couple, sure, they've got to communicate about all the different things that they're going to be going through each day. Who's going to take care of this? How are we going to deal with uh, this matter with our, our finances? Or what are we going to do when uh, this illness comes up or something like that? All of those very practical things, of course, they're taking care of. But then in a very real and very beautiful way, the married couple is also saying And I will walk with you and help you get to heaven. I want to walk with you and guide you on that path uh, to God's heavenly kingdom. I want to help you on the way to salvation. And so I say to couples all the time when they're in my office uh, meeting for marriage preparation, I say, just so you know, you're responsible for getting him into heaven. And you're responsible for getting her into heaven. And then I kind of toss a coin and see uh, which one is going to be the, the bigger project. you know. <laughs> um, hmm. But that, that idea <laughs> yeah. of, of really working together. And that's, that goes all the way back to Genesis. You know, Eve is the perfect helpmate to Adam. Perfect. Created by God for the sake of helping him to live out his humanity perfectly, his relationship with God perfectly. It's exactly what's supposed to happen in marriage, too. And so it's foundational for everything else that they'll do. From their wedding day on, they're walking that that path together.
0: That's beautiful. Uh, Let's look at the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. And this one being one of those sacraments that falls under the category of sacraments of healing. um, This is one. I've never received the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. um, And without being seriously ill or infirm... I think most people would look at this and say well that's that's a good thing. <laughs> you know, you've you've been in pretty good health. You don't require this sacrament. How can we understand this sacrament, the anointing of the sick as part of that again that foundational for us spiritually?
1: Yeah, well just as in the, in the same way that we talk about how God wants to be close to us and wants to be present to us, uh so also when we are suffering, when we are sick and when our lives are are coming to an end, God wants to be close to us. And so there's this particular sacrament, and yeah, sort of reserved for a, a moment of our lives, typically when, when there's a serious illness. I mean, you could have it any time there's going to be a major medical intervention, some kind of surgery or something like that. Uh, but this is a way in which God wants to bring comfort and, and healing. And so when you read the prayers that the Church gives to us for the anointing of the sick, uh, it's prayers for the, the care of the soul first and foremost. So first of all, the the individual who's receiving the sacrament, we're praying for, for their uh, for their own spiritual well-being. There's even a, a place in there for confession to take place or for absolution to be given if the person is not conscious. Uh, there's a, a way in which we want to make sure that their soul is, is taken care of. So first and foremost, spiritual healing. But then there's also prayer for the person to recover physically, for them to have that that gift of physical healing. There's prayer for those who are caring for them, the medical professionals, the doctors and the nurses, uh, to take care of them in that time, that they're in the hospital or that they're sick. And so it's also asking God's blessing for the physical recovery. And whether the physical recovery happens or not, you know, anointing of the sick is not a magic thing where this guarantees the physical right. healing part, but it's to give them strength as they endure that suffering also, Lord, to give them the strength to uh, to walk through this difficult time and this, this suffering um, and to carry that cross with you. So it's meant to be a a sacrament that brings them spiritual healing, possibly brings them physical healing, and then it helps them most of all to unite their sufferings to the sufferings of Christ on the cross.
0: Father Sam Kachuba, our spiritual director today, and the phone number to call in, 888-914-9149. And let's go to Christina, who's listening to us in Salem, Oregon. Great city, used to live there. Hi, Christina, welcome to The Inner Life.
2: Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um... My question is about uh, both sacrament of the Eucharist and about confession. So I've heard that when receiving the Eucharist, that sin in itself forgives our venial sins. And of course, we shouldn't receive in a state of mortal sin. But my question is that if we're regular re- regularly receiving the Eucharist and our venial sins are being forgiven and we haven't committed mortal sins, um, what... Um, should we still be going to confession? And if we're getting our venial sins forgiven, then does that make it so that if we're going to confession, that we don't believe that those sins have already been forgiven just by receiving the Eucharist? If that makes sense.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm with you, Christina. Uh, that's, that's a great question. Um, yeah. So the. The gift of, of confession, the, and the gift that we receive in confession, is is that ability to approach the Lord and to identify uh, clearly what we know our sins to be. Um, and if we're, if we're in a state of venial sin, that sin that's less severe and doesn't fully rupture our relationship with God, uh, we should feel that it's it's okay for us to go forward to receive the Eucharist. And in fact, you, you're absolutely right. Uh, the Church reminds us that the, the Eucharist itself, the reception of the Eucharist, does wipe away those, those venial sins. Now, the reason to go to confession, though, even if we're not aware of any mortal sin, is that uh, the sacrament of confession itself helps us to keep to keep getting better on that road to perfection. So I often compare confession to like a, a floor mat as you come into a building or into your house. If you've just been out in the mud and your your shoes are, are just caked in, in mud, for sure, you're not only going to use the mat, but you're probably also going to take your shoes off before you take another step into your house. But if it's a dry day and you, there's really nothing on your on your shoes, uh, you might keep your shoes on as as you go inside. But At the very least, you're going to stop and you're going to wipe your feet. And you're going to wipe your feet even though they're probably not all that dirty, even though your shoes probably aren't carrying in all that much junk from outside. You're still going to stop and and wipe your feet just as that awareness that there, there might just be something there that I, I need to clean up. And I want to make sure that as I go into the house, I'm, I'm really clean and prepared. And confession, especially when there's only venial sin to confess, is kind of like that. I want to make sure that I've just given everything over to God before I come even further into his presence. I want to make sure that I've given everything to Jesus. But then the other part of it is that those venial sins, think of them as like small pebbles. And you start piling up a lot of small pebbles, and after a while, They weigh a ton. (laughs) And so those little tiny pebbles, we just want to get rid of them. We want to give them back over to the Lord and to say, I I don't want to carry this this weight anymore. So the reason for us to go to confession, even when we're only aware of venial sin, is that those little tiny pebbles that eventually start to weigh a lot, they really do weigh us down. And even if we've been forgiven by receiving the Eucharist, the wound of that sin is still there. And so we want to ask God's healing for that wound that our own sinfulness causes us. You know, if you do something that's not really a big deal, but it's not perfect, the more you do that little thing that's not really a big deal, but is still imperfect, pretty soon it becomes a big deal that's very imperfect and very wrong. And so this is a way for us to also say, Lord, help me to be more perfect. Help me to live more the way that you want me to live. Um, And so you're absolutely right. Receiving the Eucharist when we're only in a state of of venial sin is, is okay, But what a gift it is to also go and receive the gift of of God's grace and mercy so that we can keep growing in the way of perfection as we approach the Eucharist.
0: Christina, thanks so much for your call. And uh, Father, let's go to Stephen, who's listening to us in Wilmington, North Carolina. Hi, Stephen, you're on the air with Father Sam.
1: Hey, good afternoon. Um, Quick question regarding the Sacrament of Confirmation. Um, I was wondering, you know, especially with those being confirmed at a— Later age, high school, or you know later middle school you know is it is it still acceptable to confirm those students that you know aren 't necessarily um, knowledge of what they 're receiving as a sacrament or let alone in a state of grace um, just what are your thoughts on on that yeah it, you know on a pastoral level it's it 's a very tough question because you you've often stephen have so many people who just don't know their their basic catechesis, um, or who aren't really practicing the faith very well. What we want to do is try to help them to, at the very least, be in a state of grace, um, be aware of their need for for God's mercy, and so to at least get to confession before they're they're confirmed. One of the interesting things is that uh, confirmation and, and really all of the sacraments they don't depend on so much on our knowledge necessarily as they do on god's action towards us now that doesn't mean that we don't need to know anything about the sacraments we should absolutely be prepared to receive them and that preparation includes our our intellectual preparation our catechetical preparation but it's not of the utmost importance what's of the utmost importance is that we have the necessary conditions are they a baptized person Are they able to say, yes, I would like to receive this sacrament? And even if they're not able to say, yes, I would like to receive this sacrament, think of somebody who's in danger of death and is unconscious, but you know that they believed. um, We can still give them that gift of God's grace. And we let God sort out everything else. But you're touching on a really challenging pastoral situation that i think as a church and especially as a church in the united states we really need to address is how do we help people to move from that uncatechized unevangelized and not so practicing place to a place where they're they're really receiving the gift fully they're fully attuned to what it is that god wants to give to them and so then the church is ministering really by bringing them that grace more in its fullness
0: Stephen, thanks so much for the phone call, and uh, apologies to those of you who have called in. We're down to just our last minute, minute and a half here, and so we're not going to be able to take any more phone calls today. But Father, as we get uh, to the end of the hour here, any recommendations as far as maybe a book or some other resource that you might point a listener to if they'd like to delve into this topic a little deeper, uh, how the sacraments, um, understanding the sacraments and how they really can anchor us in a more profound way to Christ? Sure. I'd recommend
1: a book by Benedict Bauer called Frequent Confession, uh, just about how how that gift of confession can help us to really stay always in God's grace. And then the other book that I love to recommend to people is by Dr. Brant Petrie. It's Jesus and the Jewish Roots of the Eucharist. It gives you a whole scriptural understanding of what the Eucharist is and deepens your appreciation of what's happening at every Mass.
0: Father Sam Kachuba, first show under your belt and uh, outstanding, wonderful conversation. Glad to have you here. As we are in our last about 30 seconds here, could I ask you to offer all of our listeners a blessing before we conclude the hour?
1: Sure, Josh, and thanks for having me. Heavenly Father, pour out your graces upon all those who listen today, that they may know your presence and your love in all things. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.
0: Amen. Amen. Father Sam, thanks again for being with us here. And as always, if you joined us late in the conversation, I say it every day, go back and listen to the podcast of the entire hour. You can find it at relevantradio.com or on the Relevant Radio app. While you're there, Sign up for that free series that we're offering all throughout this year, Miracles, Mysteries, and Mary. You'll learn more about our Blessed Mother. Hopefully it'll help you to grow in devotion to Mary. And again, absolutely free. You can sign up absolutely free at RelevantRadio.com or on the Relevant Radio app. Stay tuned. We've got Mass coming up next. And tomorrow we'll be talking with Father Carter Griffin, spiritual mentorship. How do we find those mentors in our lives to help us grow spiritually, or maybe we're being called to be that spiritual mentor. We'll talk about that tomorrow. Have a blessed afternoon.